Section 12 of the story of the first transcontinental railroad by William Francis Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. The Central Pacific Railroad. Suggested by Theodore D. Huda, Huntington, Crocker, and Hopkins. Struggle for Congressional Aid. Progress Made. The preceding chapters, and tracing the history of the Union Pacific Railroad, cover in a measure the preliminary events leading up to the building of the Central Pacific Railroad, its connection from Ogden West. In addition to this, there is a wealth of incident connected with its history that will well repay the student. The following are a few, and but a very few, of its salient points. For some years previous to the time when the final act was passed by Congress, which was to provide those of the western coast with speedy and safe communication with the homes of their youth, the question of a Grand Trunk Road had been discussed by California as a public and as private individuals. Many self-reliant men were sanguine of success. Could the project be rightly brought before Congress. This feeling grew among the people of California until a man sought office at the hands of the people could not be elected were he not a railroad man, provided that office was one wherein the holder could injure the prospects of the proposed road. Through the counties where the line was supposed to run, the question was strongly agitated, for those counties were expected to assist the undertaking by voting their credit in various sums. So eager were the people of the interior of the state to have the enterprise commenced and completed that they were willing to accede to any terms which would ensure the success of the enterprise and relieve them from the oppression of a powerful water monopoly which controlled the majority of the shipping both via the Panama route and around Cape Horn. The members of Congress from California knew that their election was in part owing to this feeling, and that much was expected of them by their constituents. They failed not when the time arrived, but to one A. A. Sargent, more than all others, is California indebted for the great work which now binds her to her eastern sisters. But we are proceeding too fast, overlooking, but not forgetting, another name, none the less honored, because the bearer lived not to behold the final completion of the work he initiated, and so earnestly advocated. Theodore D. Judah, now sleeps the sleep that knows no waking. But still his presence can be seen and felt in every mile of the grand road which his genius brought into being. His name was a household word in the West, for thousands knew and appreciated the manly spirit and genial mind of the earnest, persistent, and sanguine engineer. In the then little hamlet of Sacramento dwelt C. P. Huntington, Charlie Crocker, Mark Hopkins, and a few others, warm personal friends of Judah, who often, in the long winter evenings, gathered around the stove in Huntington and Hopkins' storeroom, and there discussed the merits 
and demerits of the Judah theory. These and some other gentlemen became convinced that the engineer was right, that the scheme was practicable. They subscribed $50 apiece, and in the summer Judah and his assistants made a careful survey of the passes in the Sierras. This was in the summer of 1860, and in the fall the engineer party returned, toil-worn and travel-stained, but vastly encouraged and elated with the result of their summer's work. So favorable was the report that $1,500 was immediately raised to be used the following summer in the same manner. The summer of 1861 found Judah and his party in the gulches and defiles of the Sierras, earnestly prosecuting their labors. The result but confirmed the previous report, with, if possible, more encouraging details regarding country, cost, etc. Judah then visited many of the principal capitalists of San Francisco to obtain subscriptions for the work, but failed to obtain a dollar. But this road, what is it? Nothing that concerned them. It did not represent capital. A poor engineer wanted to make some money and had started the idea for that purpose. These wise men shook their heads and sneered at the undertaking. What can they do, said they, even with their charter from the state? They have no money. They are poor men. It's only a sharp dodge on their part. They think the road will be undertaken in time, and when the time arrives, they will stand a chance to sell their charter and realize a few thousands. That's all. But they'll be dead before a railroad will be built across the continent. Such was the general tone of conversation among moneyed men regarding the road in its infancy. And it cannot be denied that the people of California owe nothing to the capitalists of their state, not even their thanks for aid in the earliest days of the enterprise. The bone and sinew of the people, the mechanic and the merchant, the farmer, laborer, and miner, did all that could be expected of them. But the capitalists held back, and for good reason. They feared that the railroad would give the death blow to the monopolies in which they were more or less interested. Sacramento alone deserves the credit of having originated and brought to a successful completion the Central Pacific Railroad. When the state had chartered the company, when only funds were necessary to ensure the completion of the work, only two subscriptions were obtained in San Francisco, and one of these came from a woman. In 1862, Judah went to Washington with charts, maps, etc., of the road. Sargent was there, as enthusiastic in the support of the measure as Judah himself. He drew up the bill under which the road was built. James H. Campbell of Pennsylvania and Schuyler Colfax, than whose there is no more honored name in California, were his most efficient supporters in the House. In the Senate, McDougall of California, Wilson of Massachusetts, and Morrill of Maine also stood manfully by the measure. And there was fought the great battle. There enlightened ideas, assisted by young and vigorous intellects, 
met and conquered prejudice and moneyed opposition, and opened a new commercial era in the annals of the Union. But it was not accomplished without a long and wearying struggle, in which the bulldog pertinacity and fierce grip of sergeant was manifested. Day after day, for weary weeks, in the committee of the whole, sergeant and Campbell stood up alternately, and answered objections as fast as made, in short, sharp, close, and cutting speeches. And night after night, they held interviews with eastern senators and representatives, while at their side, supplying them with information on all desired points, sat Theodore D. Judah, the engineer, earnest and hopeful to the last. Senators did not, nor would not believe, that the road could or would be built. Said Lovejoy, during one of the debates, Do I understand the gentleman from California to say that he actually expects this road to be built? The gentleman from Illinois may understand me to predict that if this bill is passed, the road will be finished within ten years, responded Sargent. People can now judge between Lovejoy's and Sargent's ideas of the vigor of the West. The end came, the bill was finally passed, and the news thereof caused the hearts of Californians to leap for joy. Ground was broken at Sacramento, and work was commenced immediately. Another battle was to be fought, a financial one. Before they could receive any aid from the government, 40 miles of road must be built and stocked, which would cost at least $4 million, for that 40 miles carried the road far up among the Sierras, through a great portion of their heavy work. Money was tight. In fact, it always is when a man wants some, commanding 2% per month in California. The corporators put in their entire fortunes. The city of San Francisco issued bonds in assistance of the work. The state and several counties also rendered material aid, but all combined was but a trifle compared to what was required. C.P. Huntington, then vice president of the road, went to New York for aid, but among the capitalists there he met the same answer that had been given to Judah by the moneyed men of San Francisco. Finally, he met with Fisk and Hatch, dealers in government stocks. They feared not the result of the scheme. These energetic capitalists, with the promptness of young and active minds, while older capitalists were questioning whether there was really a serious intention of building the road, pledged their faith to furnish the company with what money they required and when they required it. The sum ranged from $5 million to $20 million per year. But they failed not. The money was always ready. The success of the enterprise was now assured. The bonds of the company were put on the market and advanced rapidly in price, and soon the company had at their command all needful funds. When the summit of the Sierras was reached, the road was pushed rapidly forward. But long ere this was gained, when the company was toiling among the mountains, jeers and taunts of derision could be found in plenty in the columns of California newspapers. 
the Dutch flat swindle, as the road was termed, by some of these far-sighted journalists, when the company was laboring to overcome the heavy grade near that town, has passed into a byword in California, and now is suggestive of success. The route, after the summit was gained, was then comparatively easy, and rapid progress was made. The Chinese laborers, who had worked on the road from first to last, drove the work forward, and on May 10, 1869, the roads met on Promontory Point, 690 miles from Sacramento. The following will show the number of miles completed during each year. In 1863, 1864, 1865, 20 miles each year. In 1866, 30 miles. In 1867, 46 miles. In 1868, 363 miles. In 1869, 191 miles. End of section 12. Recording by Paul Harvey.